there's this kind of school of thought that people drink for like two reasons. One is to like increase pleasure and one is to decrease pain and every kind of thing falls under that. So for like increasing pleasure, it might be for more fun or because you like the taste or because you like that it makes you feel really confident. And then to ease pain would be like because it reduces stress, it reduces anxiety, it makes you feel less insecure. So understanding why you're drinking because I think a lot of us don't we just mindlessly drink and then it's only upon reflection now that I'm like oh that's why I drink so much okay I get it now hi hurt to healing listeners and welcome back to season four with me Pandora Morris I can't believe it's been nearly a year since I started having these incredibly raw and honest conversations with wonderful guests from all walks of life about their own invisible mental health struggles Those of you that have been here since the start will know that I myself have struggled with my mental health for many years and it was only recently that I started to see some glimmers of light. As part of my own recovery, I've made it my mission to start this podcast to create a safe space where I could try and help some of you on your own healing journeys. This season is full of more fantastic conversations and I hope that hearing these will provide a bit of solace and comfort for some of you. Today, I am joined by Millie Gooch, the founder of the Sober Girl Society and one of the voices leading the sobriety movement in the UK. As a journalist, she has written for a range of publications and her campaigning work has featured everywhere from Elle and Stylist to the BBC and Evening Standard. Millie is full of wisdom and her honesty about her own journey to sobriety is one I'm sure a lot of people will relate to. In today's episode, we speak all about the moment she decided to stop drinking how it's transformed her life and how attitudes towards not drinking are changing for the better. I'd love you to start by telling us about your relationship with alcohol and why you decided to stop drinking. Yeah, of course. So my relationship with alcohol really started when I turned 18. So I turned 18 like three weeks before I went to uni. I'm like an August birthday. So I had never really been a big drinker before that point. And then I went to university and just kind of got thrust into this like nightlife culture. So I worked in a vodka revolution, which as you can imagine, boozy culture. And I went from someone who was basically a nothing drinker to like a three or four night a week binge drinker. I always say I never really felt like I had a choice when I went to uni. It was always just the culture was, you'll be a drinker. And like, I remember Freshers Week, it was like bar crawls and we had like a little shot glass in our Freshers Welcome pack and it was just kind of thrust upon us. And then I quickly realised that alcohol was then turning from something that I did just because everyone else did and because it was the culture and because it was expected to all of a sudden something that I felt like I was starting to need. And whether that was like for confidence to go and talk to lads on a night out or to make conversations with new people or just to feel confident in myself. So by the time I got to third year, all my friends had calmed down, you know, were getting on with their dissertations and all I wanted to do was go out. And I became that person who was like the one that had to be carried home, the one who ended up crying in the toilets, the one who always wanted to stay till the last minute. Like at one point, it was a Wednesday in Oceana, I got carried out by a bouncer because I refused to leave, even though like the lights had come on in the club. And then this kind of behaviour just carried on when I left as well. So first of all, I went to work in PR. So I did lots of internships and a lot of them were like, they had booze brands. There was a lot of free booze floating around. Then I went to work in journalism. So a lot of like fun media parties. Just slowly over time, my drinking got worse. 
And I would, you know, wake up in places, didn't know how I'd got there. I was suffering with blackouts and wouldn't remember large parts of my night. I wouldn't remember what I'd done or what I said. And then I would wake up the next morning and the next morning was always the worst for me because I suffered with horrendous hangover anxiety, like beer fear, but just like times 10. (laughs) And I would also feel so low after a night of drinking. But this kind of started to permeate my everyday life. So even if I went out on a Friday, I wouldn't feel like myself again until like Wednesday. And then by that point, I was like, okay, who's ready for the weekend? And all of a sudden I found myself in this cycle of drinking to feel happier and less anxious but then the next day feeling depressed and really anxious and I think with mental health problems and alcohol it's so hard to untangle what is like cause and what is effect almost so I found I was getting more anxious and more depressed but as a result I was drinking more and I went through a breakup when I was 26 and it just intensified it because, you know, everyone says, oh, you know, what you need to do, you need to go out and party and forget about them and get really drunk. And actually all that happens is you end up crying in a like kebab shop at 3am. It's, it's not effective. But I went through a party hard few months and I was just so depressed. I was so miserable and getting really, really dark thoughts on hangovers. And that was kind of, yeah, just feeding into my everyday life. And one day I just woke up and I just thought, I can't do this anymore. I'm so unhappy. Something like needs to change. And so that day I decided I was going to stop drinking and we are here five and a bit years later. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. <laughs> no, well, thank you and congratulations. <laughs> incredible. You. And actually to have that self-awareness, to be able to extract yourself and to say, actually, it's not working for me. I need to do something about it. Because I yeah. think a, a lot of people sadly don't have the courage and the... I guess it also stems from valuing yourself a bit Mm. and to say, actually, I deserve more than this and it's not working for me. And I think, as you so rightly identify, it's that perpetual cycle. It's you suffer from depression, anxiety, so you drink and then the drinking exacerbates the depression and the anxiety and the whole cycle continues and you get to that point of being like, why am I doing this? And I think when that self-awareness ignites, that's when the behaviours just start to seem totally irrational and yet it's that ability to say stop which is the hardest thing for addicts to do Mm. I think yeah and it feels so rational at the time though like I never even put two and two together and I also think as well like on some of the really really horrendous hangovers I was so ashamed and like embarrassed that was consuming me so much I couldn't even think about making any kind of change because I was just all I could think about was the stupid things I've done I always say that the hangover that I decided to kind of change my life on is actually not one of the worst hangovers I've ever had I, I just felt quite crap the next day and I think I was like oh my god this suddenly had the clarity and self-awareness that I'd not had on other hangovers that had been so much worse so yeah I think the shame can sometimes just make you want to carry on drinking because you're like oh my god I'm so embarrassed about what happened I know what I'll do I'll go out on Friday and I'll drink and I'll forget about it so yeah it's a really difficult one I think and I think shame is a huge emotion which people don't pay enough attention to because I think the shame and judgment that we feel is natural and is something that I don't know I just I feel that not enough people open up about Mm. the, the level of shame to which they're really experiencing and it's really crippling shame yeah I mean we actually had a workshop about like navigating shame and it was our most popular workshop that was attended because 
people are still really struggling. One of the biggest things they struggle with when they stop drinking or doing drugs is facing up to all those things that they did do. And it is such a a big trigger for people then going back to drinking because they actually don't want to face that shame or deal with it. But then it can create more shame. So it's such a hard, call it like the shame cycle to get out of. So when you decided that you wanted to stop drinking, how did you stop? How did you go about that? Because it I mean, it's all well and good for making the decision in your head that I'm going to stop. But actually, the practicalities, your friendship group, mm. your confidence, dating, all those sorts of things, doing them sober is a very, very different ball game. So yeah. how do you navigate that? So I always think it was kind of fake because like a few weeks before I stopped drinking, I was on the tube and I picked up a copy of Stylist and there was an interview with a woman called Catherine Gray talking about her sobriety and that she was releasing this like book all about sobriety. And I remembered it when I was really hungover and I was like, I'm going to read that book. And I like downloaded it on Audible because I was like so hungover. I was like, I physically couldn't read a book right now because I can't even see straight. So I downloaded it on Audible and I just like laid in bed listening to it. And that for me was like the first thing that taught me I could kind of stop drinking and that I could see a way out of it and I could... It was like someone was just showing me that there was like another way. So I think that was the first thing was like leaning on some kind of resource because there's so many out there for people to take advantage of. And then I think I'm also quite a stubborn person. So as soon as I told all my friends, you know, there were obviously cries of, you're going to be really boring or how lame. And I just thought, you know, what? I'm going to prove you all wrong. So like the first week of sobriety, and I don't recommend this to anyone because it was like baptism by fire. But I went out for my friend's birthday in Shoreditch and I was out until like 4am. And by this point, like loads of my friends had started leaving. But I was like, until the birthday girl leaves, I'm not going to leave. I'm going to stay right to the end and prove all these people that I can be fun. But in a way, it was actually really good for me because it taught me really early on that I could do these like situations. And yeah, I might not have the best time in the world, but I can do it and I, I'll be fine. So I think that was a really good starting point for me. But I do think you have to be careful because for some people, putting yourself straight in that situation could be like mega triggering. I just think I'm just too stubborn, really. So I was like, no way, I'm not drinking. And it's amazing to have that that will that can act to your advantage. Mm. And yet when the will is channeled in the wrong direction, it can be so destructive. Yeah. And actually, as you said, it's almost like the ultimate exposure. You go from zero to 100, 100 to zero, and yeah. you just literally like, right, here, here I am, guys. And this is the decision I've made. How did they, your friends react to it? Were they supportive? Yeah, do you know what? I always say they're a bit ambivalent because I, like most people, had said, oh, I'm never drinking again at like four billion times. So when I said, I'm never drinking again, I think they were like, yeah, cool, right, we'll see you in a week. And I think they, the more I did it, the more they started to slowly cotton on to the fact that actually I was going to be doing this properly. And there was a bit of hesitation, but I, I always say I was very lucky that largely they were all quite supportive. Like, obviously, there was a bit in jest of how boring, but on the whole, like, I didn't lose any friends. No one cut me out, and I think that was such a big fear of mine. But I, I have to say I was really lucky because I know that it does happen to some people, but I think it really helped that I was really honest about where I was with my drinking. Like, I didn't gloss over it or say like oh you know I'm just on antibiotics or I'm just taking a break I was like guys I, I really need to stop drinking because I'm so miserable and I have to do something and like I'd be really 
happy if you guys could just jump on and support me and they were like yeah of course and I think it, you have to be quite vulnerable to do that but mm. by being vulnerable I kind of got all this like support and respect back so I always like one of my number one tips when people are like oh how do I tell my friends I'm like you just got to be honest about it how alcohol is making you feel why you want to stop and I think once they've got all the facts there's no really like they can't take the piss out of you because you're being so honest and vulnerable that that would be like a really horrible thing to do yeah it's so true and I think honesty in all these processes again it relates back to the shame yeah and actually if you can just say look this is what it does to me guys and it makes me fit and whatever that is whether it's alcohol whether Mm. it's drugs whether it's food yeah and it's actually it's all about boundaries isn't it Mm. and I think you've got to really be assertive in your boundaries and yeah and actually at the end of the day we've got to be our own best friends yeah and to look after yourself you've almost got to just say this is what I need to do to be yeah. me and to survive. And I think it's really brave and it takes mm. a lot of courage. And I think that's another thing is that we underestimate the level of self-confidence it takes mm. to do something which is quite radical, like not yeah. drinking or not eating eggs or not being a conformist, basically. Yeah. Did you find that a lot of emotions and feelings came up when you put down the alcohol? Yeah, for sure. I always say I had this like period when I first stopped where I just felt amazing because I wasn't spending every weekend like going out and then just getting obliterated and being hungover I was actually like getting out of bed and seeing friends and connecting and doing all that stuff and I had this kind of elation for like a few months and then it all came kind of crashing down at one point because I realized that I had been suppressing so many feelings and not looking after my mental health and not addressing that I clearly had issues with my mental health, not looking at any of that. And then all of a sudden after that, like initial high wore off, I was like, oh my God, I have feelings and emotions. And now all of a sudden I can't turn to alcohol and that's my main coping mechanism. So what do I do with all these feelings? Like, where do you put them? So I think it was about six, seven months and then I started getting really bad panic attacks. So I like went to therapy, had CBT, did all of that, spoke to a GP and I just never anticipated that that would kind of happen. I thought that, you know, I would stop drinking and that would be it. Like my life would be great. And it it was really just the beginning, mm-hmm. I think. And I always try and stress that to people that I'm like, I want to say that sobriety is the best thing I ever did because it is. But it's by no means like a quick fix for anything. You then have to start dealing with all the stuff that were the reasons that you were drinking in the first place. How did you find the process of CBT for you? What came up? Yeah, I found it really interesting, actually, because we didn't necessarily even talk about my drinking that much. We kind of talked about, you know, all the reasons why I felt the need to drink. It wasn't really talking about the the drinking directly because by that point like seven months in I was kind of like I think I've cracked this I think I can do this sobriety thing but it was all the reasons that had started coming up as to why I drank like I think I was deeply insecure I lacked confidence I was such a people pleaser but also that I had really struggled with anxiety and had just never like acknowledged that it was anxiety and that it was also like depression and I'd always felt like I was really different and I could never put my finger on it like I always remember being at uni and we would go out on a night out and then my friends would wake up the next day and be really sprightly and go to lectures and I would have to spend like three days just like calming my nervous system to get out of bed like I I kind of always knew that and a lot of that stuff really kind of came to the surface a lot about like I I was such a perfectionist I mean I still am to a degree but I, I really try and keep it in check and just in a way like alcohol was like helping me just 
completely escaped my own head. I had such a busy brain, so overthinking, always anxious. And when I drank, it was like the first time my brain just like switched off and I was just like calm and I didn't have to worry about things. But, you know, you wake up the next day and you have a million more things to worry about. But those are sort of like the things that we really figured out. I did a lot of like hypnotherapy as well, which I was really sceptical of because I always say I'm like half cynic half I believe in this sort of stuff but actually I found it really helpful you know we talked about a lot of different stuff but I it was the first time I'd ever seen like a counsellor or a therapist and just just talking to everyone trying to understand was such a big game changer for me I think and because it was at that point I didn't know anyone like anyone else who was sober not one single person so I, I didn't have anyone to talk to about it really and that was like the closest kind of person that understood and how long did you continue therapy for? I did therapy probably for about a year and a half. Then I had a bit of a break Then I had a bit of a breakdown. So then yeah. I went back into therapy. Um, for me, it's, I think, like an always rolling thing that I... And it's one of those things that I, I still should go even when I'm feeling great because I always do that thing of like, I'm cured, I'm fine, yeah. and I don't go. And then I'm like, oh, no. And I, then I have to put myself back in. But, you know, I have a really lovely therapist. She's the best. And I'll just pop up and be like, hey, me again. So, yeah, yeah for me, it's like a, a constant thing that I try and keep on top of. Hurt to Healing has partnered with Brown Advisory to bring you this podcast. Brown Advisory, a global investment management firm, is passionate about raising awareness of mental health challenges in order to help people thrive in an ever-changing world. A big thank you to Brown Advisory for supporting my mission. So what inspired you to then go and start the Sober Girl Society? Yeah, so shortly kind of after I went into therapy, I I realised that I needed some support. And I think when I stopped drinking, I did not know any other sober people but also the only thing that I knew about getting help for sobriety was AA and although now I know a lot of people who have been through AA who swear by the program like I have a lot of friends who have been through AA all I knew of AA was what I'd seen on the telly which was like it's going to be 60 year old men who have been like drinking for 40 years have like lost a job like crashed a car and I was like I'm gonna go in there and say look I can go you know sometimes a week without drinking but when I do drink I just can't stop and I get in all these situations I thought god they're gonna laugh me out the room and be like you know come back when you've got a real drinking problem and I know now that isn't the case but that's all I knew but I thought I want to meet other people and I want to talk to them like I was asking my friends I was single when I first stopped drinking I was saying to them like what point do I tell this person that I'm going on a date with that I don't drink and they were like well I don't know so I was like, okay, who do I ask about this? And I kind of looked online and I could not find anything that like wasn't based in America, that wasn't like heavily rooted in kind of AA and recovery. And I followed a lot of shared communities at the time. So people who were all talking about mental health or people who were all talking about body positivity. And I was like, wouldn't it be really cool if there was like a space for like young women who could talk about like not drinking and we could like share mocktail recipes and we could chat about how you go on a sober date? And I kind of looked at it for a while and thought, well, there's nothing here. And then I was like, okay, I know how to use Instagram. Maybe I could start it. And like 10 of us all go for the non-alcoholic cocktails on a Friday. And it just escalated. And now it's like 200,000 followers and it's just my full-time job. And it's it's wild. Like looking back now, just like making that decision to do that. I'm like, now it's like everything I do. So it's just mental. 
It's amazing. And I mean, it's helped so many thousands of people. No, I mean, it is incredible. So how long ago did you start it? So it started in September 2018. So I was about seven months sober when I started it. Yeah, which is brave as well, Mm. because I mean, sobriety is, yeah, it's, you never know quite what's going to happen. But I feel with you, it sounds like you made the decision. It was almost like there's just no turning back. Yeah. Because I was going to ask you, were you ever tempted to drink again? I mean, did you have any moments when you were teetering on that? Yeah, Uh, yeah, I went through quite a bad breakup when I was about three years sober. And I think that was the closest I've been to like, oh, but. I've still, I I just thought at this point, like, I don't want to throw everything that I've made because of this away either. And I always say now, I don't get tempted, like, physically. I never think, oh, I'd love, like, a really nice glass of wine because I think the alcohol-free alternatives are so good now that you can get that satisfaction. The thing for me is, like, getting the kind of mental craving of like I just want to be out of my own head like I'm so stressed I just want to like switch off and I think that has just you know come over the years with building those healthier coping mechanisms and things that I can do that give me that same feeling that isn't going to be as destructive and what are your main coping mechanisms so if I'm like in a really good positive mood, like I love getting out for a walk and like listening to a podcast or like just putting music on, just going out, getting a coffee, going for a walk. Also, if I can't be bothered to do that, then I will just stay at home and binge watch like Selling Sunsets or bought myself like a Nintendo Switch a couple of months ago and I'm obsessed with Animal Crossing. And I'm like, <laughs> do you know what? I know it isn't like the healthiest thing, but I'm like, it's either this or I go out and I like drink 20 egg bombs and like ruin my life. So exactly. it's the lesser of two evils. And I know I'm not achieving something, but also it feels quite nice to do something that literally has no end goal or point to it. You're just doing it out of pure enjoyment. Totally agree. And I think actually it's really important to be able to almost relish in the nothingness. Yeah. And like for us who are perfectionists, actually having those tasks that don't have an end goal, they're not leading to anything. And it's actually teaching your brain, no brain, you need to switch off. And not everything has to be sort of to go into some super high achieving realm of, and then again, that then feeds the sort of self-hatred in a way. Yeah. And actually the more you do it, and this is what I'm finding, the more that you find actually I can do this yeah. and you're it's amazing how it then just overflows into other areas of life and you can be more present with your friends suddenly you're not sitting having a coffee with someone and being like oh, I've got to get back because I've got to like, prepare for this I've got to then start racing yeah. for this I've then got to oh I've got to do that presentation and actually your ability to just sit and be in the moment improves yeah I think it's really hard because I think at the moment there's like that line between self-care and self-sabotage mm. of like oh I'm not gonna do this thing like a lot of people when they stop drinking they avoid going out they avoid seeing their friends and they say oh you know it's self-care I'm looking after myself but actually like when you disconnect yourself from people that's not really good either and sometimes you have to like practice that like going out and being present and I think those things are really important I think that's quite a, a hard line to straddle as well I completely agree with you and I I don't know if there's something you've experienced but I definitely I mean because our culture evolves so much around alcohol and drinking mm. and we are still in a minority not drinking well, I definitely often get put off by going to evening things because yeah. I just know that they're going to involve alcohol and quite often I'll arrive and if I'm going to arrive a bit late then I know that everyone's probably going to be a bit tipsy and then so an hour and then I start thinking what well, is it actually worth me going yeah. at all yeah. I don't know how do you navigate that 
Yeah, so I, I'm always like the first there because I'm like, the earlier you get there, the earlier yeah. you can leave. I also never put pressure on myself to stay the entire night. So like you said, do I just go for an hour? So I say like, I'm going to do it, judge it hour by hour. I'm going to go, I'm just going to say for like 60 minutes is all I'm going to do. And if at the end of that 60 minutes, I'm having a good time, I'll stay. If I'm not, I'm going to go. And like that for me, because otherwise it's like the overwhelm of, oh my God, it's like six hours in a bar and everyone's going to be drunk and I'm going to have to listen to people like chatting waffle or whatever. And I think by saying, oh, I'm just going to go for an hour, it doesn't feel as overwhelming. And I think, you know, airing these reservations with people as well, because you might find, you might mention it to a friend and they go, oh, do you know what? I've had a really heavy weekend. I actually don't want to drink either, so I'll be sober with you. Like, I've had that loads on, like, mm. hen parties. Someone will just come up to me and be like, oh, God, yesterday was a bit much. Tonight, I'm actually going to stay sober with you, like, if we've gone away for a weekend. And that's, like, really nice. I think you'll always find people who are kind of willing to do that, especially these days. I think the culture is changing so much. I think so many more people are sober curious. But, yeah, I would say, like, that's the first one. And, like, if temptation is is still a thing which for you probably not now but for some people I always say like as soon as you get there go straight to the bar order a non-alcoholic drink because if you're like empty-handed someone's gonna say hey do you want a glass of champagne you're gonna be like oh do I do it like no just head straight to that bar get a non-alcoholic drink you've got something in your hand people won't offer to get you a drink and if they do you can say no I'm all right thanks I've already got this so they're like some of the biggest things I would say but and also like pre-warning always makes me feel better like if I'm not feeling it I'll text the girls and just be like, oh, I'm not feeling great tonight. Like, I am going to come because I really want to see you all. But just let you know, like, if I dash off, it's because I'm not feeling great. And they're like, yes, that's fine. And nine times out of ten, I get there and I'm like, do you know what? I don't know why I psych my, like, tried to psych myself out of this. Like, it's so lovely. I love my friends. I don't know why I'd ever be hesitant. But sometimes it's, it's just a thing. It's so true. And I think it's something that a trap that so many of us fall into is that thing you're like you're dreading something and the yeah. anticipatory anxiety is just crippling and you then get you spend all day worrying about this thing and all day thinking, how am I gonna get out of this? Oh, I really don't want to go. And it feels like you're really going against the grain. And then you suddenly get there and think, why on earth did I spend my whole day yeah. in this anxious state thinking, should I send that message to her? Should I or should I not? And as you said, actually sometimes just saying to a friend, look, I'm not feeling great. And then if you do end up by staying then great it's yeah. a bonus and showing up is a big thing for me and I mm. think actually just showing face and being willing and not being so intimidated and shutting yourself off makes yeah. you just slowly realize that there is a life out there and and you slowly learn actually what works for you and what doesn't because actually maybe pushing yourself to go to the drinks party which is like going to take an hour to get to and is not worth your time whereas actually the the lunchtime night party which you know yeah. is going to be a bit boozy but it's in the day and it's sort of easier to navigate so I I think you just work out slowly what you find yeah is actually enjoyable yeah exactly and you can always offer to that person like if it's someone in particular throwing the drinks party if you don't want to go you can be like I'm really sorry like I'm kind of not up for it, but how about take you for lunch next week? Like you can always offer an alternative. Like a lot of girls on the platform who have been invited on like really big long Hindus that are in like first few months of sobriety have kind of just said, look, I'm so sorry. Like it's just not right for me right now. But when you get back, like I'm going to take you for a lovely like celebration dinner. Like, And normally these people have been fine with it. And if they're not, maybe they're not great friends. I completely agree with that. And I often think for your own 
sanity and, and sense of just self-confidence. It's quite, if you decide not to do something, it's actually great to make another plan. Mm. So say you don't go on that Hindu, then go and see a, a friend from a, a different friendship group yeah. and have a lovely lunch with them that weekend. So you don't feel like you've completely cut yourself off and yeah. you're not just, yeah, completely isolating. Yeah. I mean, there is the whole quote, which is that the opposite of addiction is connection. And I fully believe like, the biggest reason I think from hearing other people's stories about why AA works is the connection aspects. It's not necessarily the steps for most people. It's being in a room with other people, being able to relate to them, to share stories and literally just connect. So I think one of the worst things you can do if you're trying to like not drink or stay sober is to isolate yourself. And it feels like you're doing a really good thing for yourself by like not putting yourself in any situations. And that part I completely get, but I think you can really run the risk of completely shutting yourself off from the world. And that is just as bad for you. So Millie, talk us through sober dating. Oh, what traffic. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've had a few rounds of sober dating in my time. I would say that I think it has got so much easier. So I actually did some work with Tinder recently because they have released a future trends of dating report. And one of the big trends is sober dating, which is very exciting. So they did like a lot of interesting research. One was around like the beer and wine emojis uh, <laughs> that people are using on their profiles have like decreased rapidly. And, you know, when you go on there, you can say whether you're like a non-drinker and things like that. So they did a lot of cool data around that. But when I first stopped drinking and I was single, when I told people that I didn't drink, the reactions definitely weren't as positive as when I was dating again, like last year. The feedback was just so much better. I always say these days, it, it feels like it's like six degrees of sober separation that everyone like knows a sober person. Like I'd say, oh, I don't drink. And they'd be like, oh, neither does my brother or neither does my cousin. Or, And I just found people were so much more positive about it which was great but I mean dating is terrifying so therefore sober dating is also going to be terrifying but it's one of those things that I think it just comes with practice and that's a blanket rule for all sober stuff I think the first time you do it is going to be terrifying but then after it's done you're like okay that's fine I can do that you do the next one it's a little less terrifying and you just keep going because I think when you've always relied, as I did, for your confidence by using alcohol, I think you don't actually kind of build any innate confidence yourself. I always say it's like synthetic courage that you get from alcohol. Whereas by sober dating, it actually taught me to be really like confident in myself because I'd leave a date and I'd be like, oh, I can hold an interesting conversation. And, you know, someone would ask me on a second date and I'd be like, oh, okay, like I'm actually all right when I don't drink. So it just, it actually really helped me build confidence. I, by the end, I really liked it. And I also think it forced people to do things that were more interesting than just sitting opposite each other in a bar. Like people all of a sudden panicked and were like, oh my God, like I need to take you on a kayak date or like just wild stuff that people came up with. And so I had a load of like fun, interesting dates in the end. And it is, it is hard because again, it's coming out with it. And then it's also that thing of a lot of people get a bit tipsy, then they hook up, then they have a one night stand with them. And then before you know it, they're dating, they're, you know, properly dating. And then, then, then they're in a relationship. It is difficult when you don't drink. Like it is, it's immediately a bit of a barrier because mm. it's just, yeah, I guess you don't have that sort of lack of inhibitions, which yeah. alcohol does definitely give you doesn't it yeah so sober dating and sober sex are like our two most like requested topics that people want to talk about because it is such a thing that like holds people back and it is such a worry for big people like one of the biggest barriers for a lot of people quitting drinking is if they are single because they are worried about dating they're worried about sleeping with people for the first time without any kind of 
you know, liquid courage. So it is it is a really big issue. People think it's like really trivial when we talk about sober sex on the platform, but actually you will hear so many people that are like, oh, I could actually stop drinking except I'm single and I don't know how I would go on a date and I don't know how I would initiate anything. So like it is such a big thing. It is, it's huge. And it's such a lubricant alcohol for things mm. like that because, you know, again, girls with eating disorders, girls with body dysmorphia, girls who aren't that self-confident, yeah. all that kind of stuff. You know, it, again, alcohol does act as a, it is, yeah, it's a lubricant. And it's yeah. unfortunate that, yeah, we don't have that innate self-confidence, but most of us, I think, don't. And mm. so it's finding that, yeah, ability to somehow disconnect and quiet that inner critic that's wearing away. Yeah, I mean, so there's a, a great, she's called the Sober Sexpert, uh, Tawny Lara, she's amazing. So she's got a book out which I think has the best title in the world, which is Dry Humping. So I'm like, that's so smart. So it's all about like a guide to like dating and relating. She talks about so many like different things. She thinks like there's a really great like ritual you can do with like tea rather than alcohol because you can get tea that has like calming properties or like aphrodisiac properties. So she goes into some really interesting stuff. So she's definitely the expert on this topic. But I fully agree like the number one thing for a lot of women is body confidence when it comes to having sex with someone for the for the first time and alcohol is great to quieten that down but all the while we just rely on alcohol to quiet any kind of reservations we have about our body image we actually don't work on our confidence around that so it's really hard it's just such a quick and easy solution but it kind of creates more problems in the long run because we don't actually deal with that issue what workshops as well around that are you guys running? Yeah, so we have a sober sex workshop run by Tawny, which was great. She came on, so it was like a Zoom webinar, so people got to ask their questions, and people were open, which I loved. Um, and Tawny talks about everything, and so we have that on the platform, so you can actually re-watch that webinar, which is just great, because she's so... I've never met someone who's just so happy to answer, like, every single question possible. But I really thought everyone was going to be really shy on the Zoom call. I'm always a bit worried. But actually, people were, like, asking outrageous questions which is brilliant yeah you need a few and then everyone gets started yeah literally I'm like any questions then no one answers (laughs) then one person asks and then about 15 hands go up which is great how do you manage the pressure now of keeping the sober girl society going and growing it and like you said managing your perfectionist side and not getting to the point where you're just like, I just feel such overwhelmed that whoa, I'm, I'm jeopardizing my own health and sanity yeah it is hard because I think in a way like I kind of swapped my drinking for then like working on this and I mean this is a much better thing to be putting my time into but I wanted to grow it and not for me for like selfish reasons, but people were saying to me, oh, can you bring these events to, you know, like Spain? Can you bring them to America? Can you bring like, and it's just, it's really hard to want to be able to do that, but also be like, I literally cannot do that at the moment. Like I would love to bring it to everyone. So that's why we were like, okay, we'll start doing more online stuff like the workshops and the webinars. It is really hard. And I do like being a perfectionist about it because with this topic it is quite tricky and so I've had a lot of like training around the subject and I know what to do if someone comes to one of our meetups and they're drunk or they're vulnerable I know where to refer them and so like a lot of people are like oh can I just run a sober girl meetup here and I'm like oh you need the proper training you need all this and a lot kind of goes into it so I'm, I'm not a perfectionist for my own sake I'm a perfectionist because I just don't want any kind of 
issues like that, I want to make sure that it is truly a safe space when we claim it as a safe space, that it is actually one that if someone came in a vulnerable position, we know how to get them help. So that I think is a big one, but I just I just love it. It's like the best job in the world, I have to say. Well, you know, you're a complete inspiration and I think keeping that quality control is crucial because that's your brand and mm. that is as soon as you let that go and you're so right to keep an eye on it because I think, you know, you see it with companies, right? They sell out to these big brands and then before you know it, they've they've lost their USP yeah. and it sort of loses the magic. So, and I think this is the problem with a lot of us. We have these huge, you know, these huge plans and these huge ambitions and actually if you can just touch a cluster of people in a really meaningful, mm. poignant way, you've actually, your lifetime's work is such a huge achievement. Yeah. And, and I think, and I, well, I hope you stop and like sometimes realise, I, I know it's hard to yeah. probably do, but no, we, With our like real life events, I love doing them the most because like every time I, I go away and cry because I see the people in real life, I get to hug them, I get to like, especially we do like a dance class because again, like another really sort of trivial element that people say, oh, I could stop drinking, but I couldn't get on a dance floor sober. So we were like, okay, let's run dance classes. And I just see like these women walk into the dance classes. They're like, oh, I'm a bit worried about Shem, I'm a bit nervous. And then they literally like strut out the door at the end with like so much confidence and like just seeing that transformation in people. Or like even when we have our mixer events, which are all about like finding friends, girls come in, they're like, oh, I've come on my own. Is that okay? And we're like, of course, like you're here to make friends. They're a bit nervous, a bit timid. And then they literally walk out with like three friends that they've like shared WhatsApp numbers with. They're like, oh, we're, we're just going out for mocktails after this. I'm like, stop, my heart can't cope. So like seeing that in real life, I do regularly, it keeps me in check to be like, okay, this is like why you do it. And yeah. And what's next? What's in the pipeline? What? Where do you see yourself in a year's time? Oh, do you know the thing I've been doing a lot at the moment is workplace talks. So I've been offering them for like three years and no one was really interested. No one wanted me to come to their workplace. And then all of a sudden they have like really boomed in popularity because I think there is a really exciting shift in like workplace culture of everything always revolving around alcohol. So I've been doing a lot more of them, which is great. But then it is expanding the events is like the biggest thing. So for a long time, they were mainly based in like London and Manchester. But like this year, we're bringing them to Brighton, Leeds, Edinburgh. Where else are we going? Birmingham, like just kind of all over. So that's like the main thing is to try and get as many events across the UK as possible so that people can attend and make sober friends and feel better about being sober. And to finish, what advice would you have for someone who had been in your predicament? They keep on drinking. They know that it's not serving them. They know that they you know, fall into mental health issues when they do drink. If mm. they don't, what would you say to them? I mean, the first thing I would say is it, it can be different. Like you don't have to live like that. But if I was to give like practical advice, I would say the first way to like change your drinking habits is to understand why you're drinking like to really look at, okay, what is it I need this drink for? Why am I turning to alcohol? Is it because I'm not very confident? Is it because I'm insecure? Is it because I believe that no one will like me if I don't drink or I won't have any friends if I don't drink? Like really understanding what is causing that behaviour, I think is the first route to changing it. And there's this kind of school of thought that people drink for like two reasons. One is to like increase pleasure and one is to decrease pain and every kind of thing falls under that so for like increasing pleasure it might be for more fun or because you like the taste or because you like that it makes you feel really confident and then to ease pain would be like because it reduces stress it reduces anxiety it makes you feel less insecure so 
understanding whether you're drinking for pleasure or pain is also really important because drinking for pleasure is definitely not as destructive as when you're drinking to ease pain. So it's kind of understanding that as well. Like if you're going out, you're having a couple of drinks, you're having the best night of your life, like I'm not trying to tell you to stop drinking. But if you're going out, you're so upset and insecure and you hate the way you look. So your answer to that is to, you know, have 20 tequilas and dance the night away and wake up next morning feeling horrendous. Then that's kind of the first place to start is to, yeah, understand why you're drinking because I think a lot of us don't we just mindlessly drink and then it's only upon reflection now that I'm like oh that's why I drink so much okay I get it now Millie you're just uh, yeah you're really inspiring and I really just I'm so honoured to have you on the podcast today and thank you so much for travelling here and for yeah taking time out of your precious day oh thank you so much for having me it was lovely Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hurt to Healing podcast. I'd love for you to subscribe to the show or to follow me on our Hurt to Healing Instagram at Hurt to Healing Pod. You might also have a friend or family member that you think might benefit from hearing this conversation. So please spread the word. Mm-hmm.